The following sermon is from the Westminster Pulpit, extending the worship ministry of Westminster Presbyterian Church, Lancaster, Pennsylvania. We are a local congregation of the Presbyterian Church in America. Please contact us for permission before reproducing this message in any format. As you're turning in your Bibles to Romans chapter 5, which is uh, page 942 in the Pew Bibles, I wanted to take a moment to uh, thank the leadership of this church and its staff for the assistance that you have given us as we have sought to revitalize the church uh, in New Holland. Your advice and counsel has been uh, a great blessing to us, and it was a great uh, blessing to be uh, working together with Dr. York. Uh, I happen to be the advisor for his uh, doctoral dissertation at Westminster, and I'll tell you, he was a great student, in case you were curious. Uh, we learned some uh, bittersweet news yesterday, and that is that our daughter and son-in-law and four grandchildren are going to be moving to Atlanta. Thank you. Um, and uh, our son-in-law got a good job there, good opportunity. And of course, when you're considering a job, you, you think about the benefits package as well as the salary, and there was a great, great benefits package, and so they needed to go uh, and take our four grandchildren with them. <laughs> but I think one of the things we often fail to do is to to look again at the benefits of what Christ has done for us. And so this morning we're going to be looking at Romans chapter 5, verses 1 to 5, where we're going to be seeing the fruit or the benefits of justification. And to put this in context, though, I think uh, before I read Romans 5, 1 to 5, you'll notice that Romans 5 begins with, therefore, well, just a reminder of when before, what went before. You remember that chapter 1 talks about the fact that we need righteousness. We have no righteousness, but God has revealed a righteousness in Christ. Our problem is that though we know about God, we suppress the truth of God in unrighteousness. And neither will our morality will not save us, our religion will not save us, our hypocrisy becomes evident all throughout. And by the time you get to chapter 3, the verdict comes in, all have sinned, none is righteous, no, not one. But in chapter 4, we're introduced to the importance of the righteousness of God that comes by faith. How can we have right standing with God? Well, how did Abraham have right standing with God? He believed God and it was reckoned to him as righteousness. It was placed to his account as righteousness. And this is because we, the same principle applies to us as chapter 4 concludes because Jesus Christ offered himself for our transgressions and was raised for our justification. So that through faith, whoop, I almost skipped ahead too fast. Now we're at Romans chapter 5, verses 1 to 5. Follow along with me, will you please? Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. 
Through him we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that sufferings produce endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your word, which fills us with encouragement and hope, but also convicts us. And we pray that today you would encourage us, Lord, reminding us of the benefits of our triumphant Savior, Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. It's a triumphant first verse, I think you'll agree. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith. This reminds us of the foundation of everything. Justification is right standing with God. Justification is an act. It is not a process. It is a forensic or legal act of divine, the divine judge coming down and delivering the verdict based on the righteousness of Jesus Christ alone. And the decisiveness of the act is seen in the word that is used in Romans 1. Therefore, having been justified... The tense indicates a completed action. It doesn't say, therefore, becoming justified. It says, having been justified. The verb is also in the passive voice, in the active voice. The subject initiates the action. In the passive voice, the subject is the recipient of the action. We are not the justifiers. We are the justified. Now, how do we come into that right standing with God? Paul reminds us again just as he's developed in the fourth chapter, by faith. Faith is the instrumental means of our justification. It is the instrument that God uses to obtain the result. It's faith that links me to the righteousness of Jesus Christ so that when I believe, all the benefits of his work on my behalf become mine. It's When I believe that the great transaction is accomplished, my sin to his account, his righteousness to mine. And saving faith is important as we begin our message today because it is a threefold faith, three elements of saving faith. First is knowledge, you have to know the truth. Second is assent. You have to not only know the truth, but you have to agree with the truth. But the third part is a part that often is overlooked. And I have to tell you that this is a part that was overlooked in my life for many years. As many of us who grew up here in Lancaster County or you grew up in a different time when there was a Judeo-Christian culture, when everybody went to church and everybody knew where everybody else went to church. And you heard the Bible taught. And so growing up, I knew the facts of the gospel. I even assented to the truth of the gospel, but I did not entrust myself to the power and truth of the gospel as it's revealed in Jesus Christ. And I think it's important to note the the Latin word for trust. It's fiducia. And if that sounds familiar, it should. Those of you who have retirement accounts or thinking about saving money, was an advisor or something, you're always told, be sure to get someone who is a fiduciary. Now, what's a fiduciary? Well, fiduciary is someone who is legally bound to have your interests 
at heart above his own. So the action that he takes is meant to bless you, to be an advantage to you. It would be foolish to entrust your assets to someone who wasn't trustworthy in this way. But you can only take advantage of your services if you entrust your assets to them. Jesus Christ is the most faithful and worthy fiduciary of all. He is worthy for you to entrust yourself and all that you are to him. And so when we believe in Jesus Christ, that picture comes to mind. We just saw a preview of the new animated version of Pilgrim's Progress. And it reminds us that that spot where the Christian is carrying this huge burden on his back, remember? And he gets to the top of the hill and he sees the cross and beholds the cross and the load of sin falls off his back and rolls down to the hill into the empty tomb. That's the moment. That's what happens when we believe. Now, Paul goes on in his, in his usual enthusiastic way to remind us of, well, what are the benefits? What, what's the fruit of that right relationship with God? Notice, he says, therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God. We're going to look at four Four of these benefits. First is peace. And when Paul's talking about peace, he's not talking about some kind of mushy feeling or merely the cessation of hostilities. But further on in chapter 5, he talks about the fact that we were at war with God through our sin. We were adversaries of God. But through the work of God, God, though we deserve his judgment, provided the means for us to be right with him. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. While we were yet aliens and adversaries, he gave us peace. We have peace with God. And so just last fall, we celebrated the 100th anniversary of the Armistice Day that ended World War I on the 11th month, the 11th day, the 11th hour. The guns stopped firing, the tanks stopped rolling, and the mustard gas canisters stayed in their place. The war was over. And what Paul is saying here is that this war with God is over. It's not a negotiated peace between parties, but our unconditional surrender to him because he took away the reason for wrath, for the enmity through the gift of his son. And so now that we have peace with God, But that peace also leads to peace, the peace of God that surpasses all comprehension and guards our hearts and minds in him. So we have peace, peace with God, the cessation of hostilities. He is our friend, the lover of our souls. What we also see, secondly, not only do we have peace with God, through him, verse 2, we have obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. Access to grace. And when you think of the word grace, you think of the word gift. Every blessing that comes to us from God is a gift through Jesus Christ. But we can't overlook the word access here, access to his grace. A couple of months ago, Barb and I were out in Los Angeles and we're staying in a hotel. And I went down to the lobby early one morning and there was a guy on the elevator with me and I always talk to everybody. And uh, I said, here's what I said. I said, you look hungry. He said, I am. 
And I said, well, I'm not... Uh, Barb and I don't do this $18 hotel brunch. We go across the street to McDonald's and get the two-for-four-dollar sausage egg McMuffin. And he said, follow me. So I followed him around the corner on the first floor. His key, he had a concierge access to this room that had every kind of breakfast food you could imagine. Eggs, bacon, sausage, pancakes, muffins, all kinds of juice. He said, I'm allowed to bring one guest. And so I went in. (laughs) And after the first service, this is so interesting. So I want to clarify something. After the first service, somebody came up to me and said, what about your wife? (laughs) You were thinking that too, huh? Well, I'll tell you exactly what I did, and my wife is here to testify this is what I did. I didn't pile up and sit there and eat my stuff all by myself. I made two nice plates, and I carried them up to the room. That's what I did, so in case you were wondering. But that's not the point I'm trying to make here. (laughs) The point I'm trying to make is that uh, it was only through that person that I had access to all those good things. And Paul says, we now have access into this grace. And we are not only saved by grace, but we live our Christian lives by grace as well. This word access is used two other times in Paul's writings, and both, of that, both times it's used to describe access to God, God's throne. For example, in Ephesians chapter 3, verses 11 and 12, uh, Paul writes, according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. We have access to our Father through Jesus Christ. I just finished my annual haggling with Sirius XM over my uh, car service, and um, I spend so much time in the car, it's nice to have variety. And something they're really pushing these days, they're pushing all access so that you can have it on every device, your phone, your laptop, your pad, your everything. I did not opt for that. But all access, talk about all access. Through Jesus Christ, you and I have all access all the time by grace to our Father in heaven. And so you have peace. You have access to God's grace. And he goes on to say that we also have access to glory. The benefit is glory. We rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. The end of verse 2, we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Now, the glory of God, of course, is something that reflects his majesty, his attributes, What Paul is talking about here is a hope that we have that he talks about later in this book. He talks about being glorified, that we'll be glorified. What does it mean to be glorified? What it means to be glorified is to be conformed completely and perfectly to the image of Jesus Christ, our Savior. And that's something we have to look forward to as we walk through the the weaknesses and trials and difficulties of this life. John Murray wrote... It's called, it's, it's, it's expressed this way because God is the author of the glory bestowed upon his children. And so that's a forward look that we have. 
Uh, Timothy Keller has observed that these three benefits of justification are three tenses of our salvation. In Christ, we've been freed from our past. Our old record of rebellion and sin is put away. We're free in the present to enjoy personal relationship with God, and we will one day most certainly experience the freedom of life lived in the full, awesome presence of God's glory. And so we see we have peace, we have God's grace, we have the hope of glory. But now in verse 3, not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings. I call this point growth through sufferings. Now, wait a minute, Dr. Whitmer. This has all sounded pretty good so far, but now what is this about suffering? I didn't sign up for this. Well, yes, you did. Because when Jesus Christ called you to faith, he called you to a walk of discipleship. He called you to a life of cross-carrying. He said, is the servant greater than his master? If they persecuted me, they will persecute you. We are to walk on the Via Dolorosa. Each of us has one. It's a way of suffering. Not to the measure of the suffering of Christ, but it is suffering nonetheless. In the Pilgrim's Progress, Christian, after the burden fell off his back, was not given a leisure suit. He was given a suit of armor. And in the New Testament, we have this link between suffering and glory, don't we? In Romans 8, 17 and 18, If children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may be glorified with him. Sadly, there are many false preachers and teachers out there who who are going to tell people that all you have to do is believe in God and all the bad stuff is going to go away. That's not what happens, is it? I had a dear friend some years ago who had a a baby that was born with a, a very serious heart defect. And he had some friends who came to him and said, if you would just believe, if you would just believe, that child would be healed. That was so discouraging to them. They began to question, but then they knew that that wasn't the truth at all. When he says we rejoice in our sufferings, we do not rejoice for our sufferings. We rejoice in the midst of our sufferings. And for whatever reason, you ask yourself, for whatever reason would I rejoice in my sufferings? Well, Paul answers that question for you. Knowing that suffering produces endurance, Knowing, it's not something you need to wonder about or be curious about. You can know that when you're suffering, that suffering is going to produce endurance. What does that mean? It means that suffering makes you stronger. James makes the same point in chapter 1, verses 2 to 4. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. But perseverance finished its work, that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. And Paul later will say that we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love him, to those who are called according to his purpose. And as rightly many say, not all things are good, but all things work together for good. Now, this doesn't mean that we should be looking for suffering like some ascetics do. But when suffering comes, whatever that you're in the midst of right now, Know that God is at work behind the scenes in his mysterious purpose to make you stronger, to build your faith. Again, back to Pilgrim's Progress, when Christian was having difficulties, he observes, I even grow through hardships. The king never wastes 
anything. The king never wastes anything. Thank you. It's the resistance on the way to the barbell that makes the muscle stronger. It's the heat that tempers and strengthens the steel. It's the fire that refines the gold. Earlier this spring, I was at a conference and I was reminded of one of Johnny Erickson Tata's favorite quotations. Um, as you know, as a young woman, she dove into shallow water and became a quadriplegic and has walked the walk of faith ever since. And here's what she said. She said, I always say that in a way, I hope I can take my wheelchair to heaven with me. I know that's not biblically correct, but if I were able, I would have my wheelchair up in heaven right next to me. And when God gives me my brand new glorified body, I will then turn to Jesus and say, Lord, do you see that wheelchair right there? Well, you were right when you said that in this world we would have trouble because that wheelchair was a lot of trouble. But Jesus, the weaker I was in that thing, the harder I leaned on you. And the harder I leaned on you, the stronger I discovered you to be. So thank you for what you did in my life through that wheelchair. And now, I always say jokingly, you can send that wheelchair to hell if you want. (laughs) But Paul also says that we know that the sufferings of this life are not worthy to be compared to the glory that is to come. Suffering produces endurance, my friends. We know it does because God's word tells us that. But then that endurance produces character, produces character, proven character. The idea of proven character is the idea of a test passed. When you pass a test, it builds your character in the sense that it establishes your new identity in Christ. You heard of the student who came home one day from school and he said, Mom, I think I flunked my math test. And she said to him, son, you should be more positive. He said, I'm positive I flunked my math test. (laughs) Now imagine imagine that young man working hard and and getting a B. He's thinking to himself, I'm lousy at math. But as he works, as his grades change, it changes his perception of himself, does it not? This is what it's like for us as Christians. You know, whatever your, whatever your character flaw, whatever your sin has been that clings to you, you may be someone who has trouble with, with the truth. You twist the truth and people can't, can't trust you. But in Christ, as you walk through these things and as you take victory after victory, you now become identified as trustworthy and reliable. Or maybe you've been a person who has not been very generous with your money. You've been someone who has even been dishonest with the use of your money. But then as you, as you move, as you walk through these things, now you can begin to look at your life and say, I'm a generous person. Perhaps you're a person who's had trouble with, with sexual sin. And you've characterized yourself that way in your heart and in your life. But as you gain victory... After victory, three steps forward and two steps back, moving forward, your perception of yourself now change as God is conforming you to the image of the pure Christ. God's at work in you now. Your suffering builds endurance. Your endurance builds character. And your character produces hope. Hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us.
You know, this really could be a far more points to the sermon with the benefits of, of justification, but I've chosen to uh, spare you all of it. Uh, but, but here again, hope. You see the gift of the Holy Spirit. How can, you, how can you walk this way? Well, he's given you the Holy Spirit in your heart and in your life to, to prompt your thinking when the time comes, when you're in the middle of suffering, to say, I know, I know that God is at work in this. Let me see how. And you're not going to know right away, but necessarily, but you can believe that he is. And hope, it's a hope that doesn't put, the, put us to shame. Now, I hate to bring up a sore subject right now, but I feel that I must. That is the Phillies. <laughs> Do you remember how the Phillies started this year? Do you remember? They swept the Atlanta Braves three straight games. And I remember hearing people on Philadelphia Talk Radio really say, we're going to go 162 and 0. Would you say that's a hope that disappoints? Yes, for sure. But you know, this hope in Christ, it's, as you know, it's not something that might happen. It's a hope that is, is solid because it's based on this justification, this right standing with God that can never be changed. And as we walk in this way, the Spirit also carries out His work of, of building our assurance. The, the Spirit bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. And so you know that these things are objectively true, but as you live them, you walk with them, you know increasingly that God is at work in your heart. And all of this, because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. That, my friends, is an overflowing blessing that the Spirit has been poured out. God's love has been poured into our hearts. Yesterday, Barb and I took Ben to Lap Valley Farms for ice cream. I ordered two dips on a waffle cone. And let me tell you what, that was overflowing. I could not keep up with it. I, I couldn't keep up with it. I worked as fast as I could, but I couldn't. The cone began to break, and Barb rescued me. She went in and got a a paper bowl for me to put it in. It is so much, so good. That's the blessing of God on you. So much, so good. So, my friends, do you see the benefits that you have through Christ? First of all, have you entrusted yourself to that most faithful fiduciary of all? He is the one you need to go all in with through faith. Believe him. Believe in him. Believe that his death was for you and that his life is for you. He will not disappoint you. But then remember to look up. Remember that you have access all the time, all the time, to his grace, to his blessing. And remember to look forward to the glory that is to come. This isn't all there is. There's more to come. And remember to look within Remember to take some time to to reflect on how God is using your current circumstances for your strength and for his glory because you know that he is the benefits of justification. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for these words. Thank you for your word, which is true, which is reliable. And uh, Father, I, I ask today that you encourage us Uh, to remember this great justification, this right standing that you have given to us in Christ, through which we have peace 
access to your grace, glory to look forward to, and the knowledge that even in our sufferings that we can rejoice because we know that you are at work accomplishing your purpose and conforming us to the image of Christ in whose name we pray, amen.